Hello there, friends. It's Terry McDougall with Marketing Mambo. So how does a poet get into the profession of PR? Well, my guest today, Mickey Kennedy, is going to tell us how that happens. Mickey has a lot of great tips on how entrepreneurs can get out there and be noticed with PR. And I am very excited to share his insights and also learn a few of them myself. And speaking of getting noticed, if you're working in a job where you would love to get promoted, but you can't quite figure out how to step outside the pack and be noticed for your intelligence, hard work, and talent, please reach out to me at my website, terrybmcdougall.com, and set up a free, no-obligation, exploratory call to see if I might be able to help you to fully step into your potential and make sure that it's noticed where you work, or if that doesn't work, to find someplace that will appreciate you and reward you for your brain's hard work and talent. Nothing gives me more pleasure than when I'm working with a client who steps fully into their potential and has it recognized and gets the rewards that go along with what they're able to contribute. Sometimes there's just a few blind spots that can be hard to see on your own and that's where a coach like me can step in and help. So please reach out. I look forward to talking to you. And now without further ado, let the Mambo begin. Welcome to Marketing Mambo with your host, Terry McDougall. It's the fun and fast podcast where we cha-cha-chat with marketing movers and shakers from around the globe. everybody. I'm very happy to welcome Mickey Kennedy today. He's the founder of e-releases. And Mickey, welcome to Marketing Mambo. Oh, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. So before I hit record, we were having a little chat about your background. And I would love it if you would share your story of how you came to bound e-releases and, okay. and how you got into this area to begin with. Okay. So like around 25 years ago, I was in Northern Virginia for graduate school. I was pursuing creative writing with an emphasis in poetry. And I just assumed I would wait tables uh, for a living based on that. But I started working summers waiting tables and it became very clear with a sore back and sore knees and feet from standing on concrete for 10 hours a day that an office job would be a lot more suitable for me. So I transitioned into editing and then moved into a telecom startup. And there I was in charge of a lot of things, including sales, but also their PR. And we would do faxing and we had a brand new fax machine that held 100 numbers. And that was a big deal because I think the previous one was like 20 numbers. So I would program 100 journalist numbers in it and hit send. It would take a day, day and a half to send. And we had about 190 journalists we needed to send to. So I had to delete all those numbers and start over with another 90. Because we published telecom traffic statistics, we started to get a lot of calls from journalists saying, hey, could you just email that over to us? That way we can copy and paste all those numbers rather than translating it from paper. And 
that's when the light bulb went off and I was like, email is so much easier than faxing. So I mentioned it to my boss who was an entrepreneur. It was a startup that I was at and he said, you should start that business. So I started looking into it and I spent about a year building my database of journalists and basically I just asked them, would they like to receive targeted press releases according to their beat? I think every single one of them said yes at the time. This was a long time ago. Now they probably get inundated with so much email, but Back then it was new and a lot of people were really welcoming of it. And so I started e-releases then. I saw a need for a la carte services where you weren't tied to a, a long contract with a PR firm or something like that. I focused specifically on press release sends that we do through email. We did start adding national distribution through PR Newswire to our sends as well. That's a custom distribution with them. And we sort of negotiated that acting as a small co-op of small businesses because they tend to charge about $1,000 to send a national press release. And we, of course, charge much less than that. So we really had to make a strong argument that you're not really serving this community. They're never going to go directly to you. Your salespeople have no interest in them because they're doing two to four releases a year and their salespeople are looking for people who are doing two to four releases a week. And so we started as a sort of a win-win situation and found a solution that worked for both of us. And, you know, it's grown. I mean, it's now got about nine employees. And for someone who started a business that never intended to have employees, that's a lot to me. And there's definitely been some growing pains over the years as well. But uh, I love it. I love the marketing of it. That's where I put my energy, the strategy with the business as well as the marketing. Yeah. It's so funny to think back about faxing stuff. I was actually thinking like maybe it would have just been more economical to buy another fax machine. Well, but they were so expensive back then. They were. I think that we paid 1500 to $2,000 for that one. And it was a startup. So we were having to watch every dollar. We were actually using dial-up at the time. And it was back before it was unlimited dial-up. So we would have a package of 100 hours that we shared. So we dial up, do research, and then immediately get off. And so we were having to watch every dollar. It would have been really nice to have bought that second fax machine, though, and prevented all that wasted time. Uh, oh, my gosh. Yeah, your finger was probably sore after those <laughs> days of punching all those numbers in. And I, I would imagine for some people that are a little younger listening to this podcast, they can't even imagine that world. But it really wasn't that long ago. It's so funny to think about. I remember at my first job, we didn't even have a fax machine. I worked in a publishing company, believe it or not. And the ad agencies would ask me, can we... Can and I fax over the insertion orders and I'd have to say, no, you have to FedEx it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so funny. Different time. But it sounds like your business is really fulfilling a need for an underserved segment of the marketplace. What do your typical customers look like? They're across all different types of industries. Most of them are small businesses or authors. A lot of traditional publishers have stopped doing marketing and PR for their own clients. So we used to just see self-published authors come through us, but now it's like authors who are traditionally published by large names that are coming through us as well. Because unless you're like a Stephen King or someone like that, they really aren't providing the resources for people. And uh, startups are also a 
a really great group that that we like to see. About 30% of the people who appear on Shark Tank use us. And the producers of the show advise them to do a press release before their episode airs and generally one after their episode airs. And we've been mentioned by name a few times by the producers. So that's been really great. I tried to see if we could get like a mention, like we could put on the website, but they're like, oh, that's licensing and that's very expensive. The Shark Tank name is a brand. And so, but we like that we're just sort of mentioned and passing to them. And we work with Squatty Potty and Manscaped and just a lot of those companies. Those are two that use us beyond the initial launch of their thing. They sort of cycle through using press releases strategically. Hmm. Wow, that's really cool. And it got me thinking also about, I suppose, Amazon's put a lot of pressure on the traditional publishers. There's probably not as much margin as there used to be. And also, I suppose Amazon has so much power in terms of like the algorithms and the titles that are served up to people when they go out there that maybe the traditional publishers are just finding that what they used to do just doesn't work as well. I don't know. Right. Are you, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I also think that traditional publishers are more aligned with working with PR firms and they're also building a PR firm in-house. And it's kind of inefficient. It's very expensive. Firms are labor-intensive. Building those networks of contacts and pitching direct is very labor-intensive. I just don't think that they can afford those margins as part of that process. So a solution like ours we're not really doing the pitching, but it is a good solution to get the book and some exposure out there, both on a national wire, as well as an email send that we do. Mm-hmm. And in addition to providing them the ability to send this out, do you provide consulting services to your clients to help them figure out who should I be targeting with my press releases? Right. So we do have a coaching program for people who are looking to build their first PR campaign. Basically, it it takes them through some strategy training, and then we're available to advise them basically where they need it, whether it's talking about strategy or looking at individual press releases and coming up with ways of tightening it up, making the headline better, the opening paragraph. I mean, those are the two most important elements of a press release is, is that headline, because on the wire, it's just streaming headlines. And so a journalist is going to click on the headline and drill down and read the release if it's of interest to them. So you want to make sure that the headline is, is really on point. And a lot of people confuse that with having it clickbaity. And you definitely don't want something like a pun or something where there's no context in the headline because journalists aren't like readers of the New York Post. They are busy professionals. And so they're looking for those nuggets of facts. And so that is a hallmark of someone who doesn't really understand who the audience is when they do those kinds of really funny headlines. Mm -hmm. Leave those for the ones that the actual consumers or readers actually see. Right. That's the report reporter or the editor will come up with those right. when it actually, you know, hits the newsstand or hits the computer screen. But what are some of the other mistakes that you see people making or what are some of the things that you see that are sort of misperceptions about what they should be doing with their press releases? Right. So I see a lot of milestone releases that are like a new hire, uh, a donation to a charity, maybe a new green initiative because it seems like 
people are more environmentally conscious now. And there's really nothing that's of a high newsworthy standard there. The new hire is probably, unless it's like a really big name or someone's really important in the industry, very few people are going to care about it. So a lot of people focus on writing the press release, but they don't really focus on the strategy behind it. And that's the important part. What should the press release be about? Those are things where it could be uh, numbers and statistics. I always say, if you don't have a newsworthy idea for your press release, make your own numbers and statistics. Do a study. It could be of your customer base. It could be of your leads. You could align yourself with a small trade association within your industry. You could even try the large ones. Sometimes they'll send out a survey link for you or post it to their social media. There's lots of ways to get that data. But basically, if you have a a pool of 100 or more, most journalists will pay attention to it. And I always say to be sure to strategically put uh, a couple of oddball questions in there, because those are often the ones that get people's attention, especially the journalists. So if you're releasing something about you know, teen drivers, you might have something that talks about, do you sometimes avoid roundabouts and other little things while driving just because you don't know how to navigate them well? And things like that, that might be not so obvious, but could be very compelling. And if you want strange, odd survey questions, just look at Cosmopolitan Magazine. They've been doing it for decades. If you just look at the cover and it's like 17% of all men do this in the bedroom, page 58. And people are just like, I've got to know what that is. I'm going to page 58. And then that's what those oddball questions can do. They can get people like, wow, I want to you know, read about this article and learn what the answer is. Regardless of whether it's 2% of the industry or 98%, they just want to know what the outcome was. And so that's a great way to get media pickup and industry and national media are really interested in surveys and statistics and numbers. And sometimes you can pull the numbers that are already out there in the industry that are just being ignored and you could compile it and bring this data together. That's also another you know, really great way of, of doing that. Something that we've done in the past is research someone's industry and find out what they're not talking about. And sometimes there's a reason. We had someone who was in IT security. And he was pointing out some vulnerabilities on major hosting platforms like AWS and some of these other ones that are utilized. And nobody in the industry wanted to report on it. And after he sent his press release, he was actually pointed out by a few people, you really shouldn't be going and saying this. We don't want people focusing on vulnerabilities that are out there that we don't really have a solution for at the moment. And so that was not an opportunity, but we worked with a local carpet company and they had a budget. And I was telling them, I don't think a local carpet company is going to get any media attention. And after five releases, they hadn't. And we were just brainstorming and it came up that their largest problem and headache in the industry, their enemy, is the big box home improvement stores because they come in with a fairly mediocre was quality of carpet is what they described it. They said the padding is usually terrible and that they just use pickup contractors. It's never the same guys. It's just whoever is the cheapest and available at the moment. And you really don't know who's coming into your house. And so they did a press release about that, talking about the difficulties of marketing as a local carpet company against them. And they got picked up in all these floor trade publications. I didn't realize there were that many. There was uh, over six 
four trade publications and local newspapers picked it up and people really resonated with it. And one of the trade publications said, we got more positive feedback about that story than we've gotten off of anything that we published in the past year combined. And so they said, if you have more marketing stories, keep sending them. And important thing that they did was they put together a brag book of all their clippings over the the year that we were getting clippings. And when they go into someone's home, they used to always try to undercut the big box home improvement stores and try to be the lowest provider. And they just said, we're not going to be the lowest provider, but all of our installers have been with us for years. They're salaried. They don't work hourly. They get benefits and we do premium padding. We do guaranteed fabric. And here we've been recognized nationally and no other floor company in the area has been recognized by so many floor trade publications. And they started winning more bids at a higher price as a result of that. Yeah, that's so great because as you were talking about that, what they're doing is they're demonstrating their value proposition because their prospects, you can just go out to Home Depot or Lowe's or one of the other big box stores and you can scroll and search and get an idea of what it's going to cost. And I didn't know that there was a big difference between that and going to a local store, but it totally makes sense. One of the beauties of getting press is that it credentializes organizations in a way that them just running advertising doesn't, right? Because it's quote unquote earned media. There's a credibility that goes along with being in print. Someone has decided that you're worthy of that in a way that people tune out advertising because they know that's paid placement. But when it's an actual article, people get excited. They want to do business with it. Uh, My customers see that the traffic that they get from earned media often are the most loyal customers and the most profitable. They don't open another window and say, can I find this cheaper on Amazon and start doing another search? They actually see the article, get excited about the company, and then go place an order with them without doing that price shopping that everyone hates or has trouble. I think that a lot of people really do want to make decisions, but they're fearful of making the wrong decision. And so when they have somebody that's credentializing, providing credibility, like, yes, this is a good decision to make, then they have confidence moving forward and making that decision, which is great. When you were talking earlier about how do you influence the reporters to pick up a story and how so many organizations will go out with a press release about something that's important to them, but you know, the reporter and probably anybody that would read about it would say, well, why should I care? And reporters are talking about the news. And I think that word is important because at the root of that is new, right? Right. Like what's new and different about this and why should I care? And I think that there is a reason why sometimes you hear PR agencies referred to as spin doctors. It's because they're taking the message that their client wants to get out And they're sort of looking at it from a lot of different perspectives and saying, how can we spin this? How can we tell this story in a way that there's going to be a hook, that the reporter is going to be like, oh, wow, there's something new and different here. And that's basically what you're saying is that rather than just going out with something that's pretty like, oh, hey, we just had our 50th year anniversary. Maybe there's something about like, hey, we were the first hardware store in the county and we did something special, that there was something historic historic that happened at our store, right? Like that's a new and different spin, not just like, hey, we put a banner up front and come take a picture of it and put it in the paper, right? Right. There's nothing to that. But answering that question about why should I care? I think that's really important. Would you agree? 
I, I would totally agree. I mean, one of the things a journalist's job to do is what will my audience, my readers or viewers find of interest? What will entertain them? What will excite them? What would they want to read? And so many people that are sending out press releases are sort of like centered in a way, and they're focusing on what I want out of this. I want this news. I want to get it out. I want them to write an article about it. But have you looked at what you wrote through the lens of a potential reader? You know, what is it that is going to be compelling to a reader or a viewer of a show that's going to resonate with them? And so that's something that has to be taken into consideration. And a really good PR firm should be able to do that. But the client is the boss a lot of times. So what you want doesn't always get translated in there. And there's a lot of press releases that just get issued that nothing really much happens to. And it's just a wasted opportunity because they're expensive to get out over the wire, for example. And you really should be taking something that potentially could get picked up. And it's not extremely difficult to reverse engineer what a reader would find of interest. You just have to step back from what you want and look at what would serve the reader and create a win-win situation. I love that. I love that. Are there any trends that you see in the whole PR arena that maybe are any things changing or like what's going on out there? Well, there is a lot more acceptance of social media influencers as media. The newswires were very slow to adopt and embrace bloggers. But once they did, they recognized that there are non-traditional media that are responsible for a lot of eyeballs. A lot of people like them. And a lot of trade publications have blogs that are out there that get as much traffic or a sizable amount of traffic compared to, to the trade publication. Once they've embraced it, when social media came along, they're beginning to supplement their media sends and include people like that as well, because there are social media influencers who are on Twitter, who are taking press releases and turning them into tweets and, and sending those out. So there's lots of different changes there. I think that that will continue to evolve. I think that influencers of all types will exist exist. And I think that's really good. I think it democratizes the media and creates a lot more opportunities for people because people are just looking for individual stories and things that entertain and that are novel and new. And so you have people at all different strata of media who are trying to, to take that content and, and send it to their readers and audience. Uh, I suppose that you would include podcasting in that arena as well. And certainly podcasting is really proliferating. And I just got started earlier this year with Marketing Mambo. But as I'm doing it, I just realized that there's so much in common with radio. And I'm actually watching the talk show hosts and kind of boning up on interview tips and stuff like that. So it's interesting. But because there are so many more channels, does it make it more difficult for you and your clients to reach all of those different people that might be an opportunity for them to get their message out. I do think it makes it a little more challenging for us, but I think that we're up to the challenge. And I, I think that we're seeing the newswires building out their network so that these other additional influencers are included in distributions. So I think that we're moving in the right direction. There's always complexity, but with technology and so many other things, it just makes it so much easier to adapt and to change. And so, you know, going from the days of having the facts and you'd have to find additional people 
on ways to send them. Now it's electronic. So it just makes it so much easier to make sure that you're reaching them. Yeah, well. it's so funny. How, how did we ever do it? But we didn't know any different, right? No, we didn't. <laughs> Yeah, that's so funny. I have really appreciated all of the tips and and your perspective on how to be more effective from a PR standpoint. I understand that you have a masterclass that you offer to people that want to learn more about being better at PR. Can you tell us about that, Mickey? Right. So I created a, it's a video training masterclass. You can find it online at ereleases.com slash plan. P-L-A-N. It's also in the footer of the website. I think it's like free PR strategy training. And basically, I looked at my customers that continue to get media coverage again and again, and I started looking for commonalities and lessons that could be learned there. And so there's some stuff that we talked about, like the numbers, statistics, doing your own survey, that's included in there. But there's other things like quotes, types of quotes, how a quote can save your mention in an article. And there's the contrarian approach, lots of different little angles and things that work for my clients and continue to work. And I don't want to discount that if you have a milestone uh, topic like a a new hire or a, a new product or a refresh to a product or service, that that's not worthy of a press release. But what I am saying is that you definitely want to explore these strategies that work because from a newsworthy standpoint, they tend to work much better than those releases that focus on like a new hire or something like that. Now, if you have a new product, certainly that's a newsworthy element for you and you you want to get that release out. But for a lot of companies, they're not releasing products every year or so. So you want to, to do regular press releases, I always recommend you you want to do a PR campaign, which is a minimum of six releases. But I always recommend that small businesses try to do one every other month, if you can, at the bare minimum quarterly, just to remain relevant to the media. Because what happens is you'll release a press release. It doesn't work. You realize that that topic didn't resonate with your industry. Is there something else? And you take those strategies that we talked about and you move on to another one. So you're never fishing with the same bait, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And I see that with customers who will issue a release. It didn't resonate. They'll basically rework the press release with the same announcement and send it again. And it, it, it again doesn't do anything. You can't force something that the media is not receptive to. So what you have to do is say, I've learned that that message didn't work is there another one that I could use and try a different strategy until you find out what works for you? And if it does, you see, can I replicate it, change it slightly and do it differently? And I have clients who just do surveys and statistics and one does it across many different industries. They actually sell industry reports and you know they're just releasing 20 to 30 press releases a year, these surveys and studies. And I'd say everyone gets picked up by at least a dozen major publications not minor ones, but major publications. And these are individual articles, not the press release syndicated or replicated on another website. It's an actual article that someone wrote. And you know that gives you more traffic. It gives you SEO links to your website and, and it boosts your credibility. And so those are the types of things that can happen with the press release. Yeah. That same question came back to my mind, which is let them know why they should care. Give them some meat to dig into to write the 
story. You know, I have a, a close friend who used to be a reporter. He now works in corporate communications. And he is definitely sort of a skeptical, contrarian type person. And I think that that's very typical of reporters, that they want to get in there and be as objective as possible. They do not want to be influenced and just be the person that's sort of repeating somebody else's point of view. They want to be presented information and be able to choose from that information about what they're going to pull out and write a story about. And sometimes if you're just going out with sort of a one-dimensional like, hey, so-and-so joined our staff. Okay, so what, right? They didn't answer the question, why should I care? But if this person is an expert in this or that, and they've won awards, and they've traveled the world doing charitable good works or something like that, that gives them a hook, right? Sure. Then they can, okay, you know, international humanitarian joins local firm. That's a beautiful headline, right? But you got to give yes. them something to dig into there. So Nikki, thank you so much for being with us today. Where can people find you? You can visit at ereleases.com. I'm on all the social media. I think there's links on the footer of the website to find us. And if you ever have any questions about press releases, you can just give us a call or chat with us. We don't have any salespeople at ereleases. It's all editors. So you'll be talking to someone who can advise you on your press release and your press release journey, and they can walk you through the process. There's no commissions or anything. So if we feel that a press release isn't applicable to you for whatever reason, all of my employees are empowered to say so. So we really want small businesses to succeed. And if PR is a good fit for you, we definitely want you to put together a campaign and consider doing a PR campaign and press releases. Great. Well, thank you so much, Mickey. This is very informative. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Mambo. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, like, and share. I'd love to hear from you. Check out the show notes for my social media and contact information. Until next time, adios.